So uh, back in June, I was uh, sitting in my office at home. It was a Thursday, and that's when I uh, write out the sermon. And um, it was the afternoon, and all of a sudden, I had a little window in my office, and all of a sudden, through the window, I saw this huge storm uh, kick up very suddenly. It was a storm that I was familiar with growing up in Oklahoma when, you know, you look out and the sky's blue and clear, and then boom, all of a sudden, the winds and the rains are coming with the fury. For a little bit, as I was looking out the window, I could hardly see because the rain was blowing so hard. And as I was sitting there, I was startled for a second because a, a, a tree is right over that part of the house and a branch had blown down and plopped right down on, on the roof and startled me. And then I saw the branch fall off into the ground. So, you know, no big deal. So I was sitting there. Uh, our daughter, Laura, was in another part of the house. She was... Uh, by these sliding glass doors we have that go onto a deck that look over the driveway. And I heard her say, No! Went on for about 10 minutes. <laughs> and I thought, what in the world? Now you got to realize, this was about three weeks from her wedding. And she was a little more tightly wound than normal. A little more dramatic than normal. And sitting in my office, I thought, oh my goodness. That drama, the drama continues. <laughs> Nothing could be as bad as that reaction indicated. Nothing. So I got up to see what was going on and looked out the window, and this is what I saw. I saw that a big tree, a big tree, in case you're wondering, a smooth bark hickory tree <laughs> had fallen down. Her no was as it was falling, and it had landed on three of our three cars. Uh, my future son-in-law, now my son-in-law, he still went through with it after this, uh, <clears throat> uh, totaled his car. Lars Jeep uh, was fixable, and then uh, Mackenzie's car, you can barely see it there on the end. Uh, it didn't need a lot to total it, but it was totaled as well. Now, my 2005 escape with 140,000 miles was sitting in the garage. <laughs> because people were coming and we wanted to get it out of the way, right? And uh, I'm still a little irritated about that. But it made out like a bandit on that if it had been uh, totaled as well. Right before the tree fell, Laura had given Mackenzie keys to her, her Jeep, and Mackenzie was going to go someplace. And so for a moment, and part of the yelling was she didn't know where Mackenzie was. We didn't know if she was in the car. So learning that she wasn't in the car, that she was at home, in the house, uh, really nothing mattered much after that. On Friday... A great team came out and started cutting back the tree. It was so big that they could only cut back the branches so far. And then on Monday, they brought out a huge crane and they lifted the, the, the tree off the cars, which was a pretty cool process had it not been in my yard and our cars. <laughs> so I was talking to the guys that, uh, that did the tree service and they said, this is weird because this tree looks just 
uh, perfectly healthy on the outside. The, 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 the trunk, the leaves are green. It looks healthy. And the roots are not rotten, but they must have been weak. And when a microburst or something came, hit it just right, and it just took that tree and just brought it to the ground. The, 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 the roots of the tree were over six feet high as they were standing there. Looked great on the outside, but um, the problem was under the, under the surface, the roots. Same with us, right? We can look great on the outside. From, from, from all external data points, our life can be going pretty well. We act like we have it all together above the surface. But it's, it's the roots. It's the inner person. It's, it's, it's what's below the surface. That, that's what's going to allow us to make an impact. That's when, what's going to allow us to either stand or not when the inevitable storms hit. As we kick off this new year, I want you to take your Bibles and turn to Colossians Chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. Today we want to look at this passage. We want to see what Paul directs us to do. We want to bring that to our church for this new year and talk about why we need to do that. And then we're going to look at the how. How are we going to make this happen? How are we going to allow this to happen here at the Bible Church, Bible Chapel during this year? Now as you're turning to Colossians chapter 2, let me give you a little background. The Colossian church had just celebrated its 10th anniversary, but they were fearful that they were not going to make it another 10 years. Heresy, false teaching, had seeped into the church, and they had a multitude of issues going on. In fact, the issues were so, there were so many of them and so severe that they said, we got to get some help. So they chose a representative, a guy named Epaphras, and they sent Epaphras from Colossae, up here in Greece, all the way over to Rome, where Paul was in prison. They sent him to the Apostle Paul. And they said, talk to Paul. Tell him what's going on, and allow him to give us some advice. The letter to the Colossian church is the advice, the instruction that Paul is giving. There were so many issues in the Colossian church, that it became known as the Colossian heresy. Five big issues going on. First, there was legalism. There were those in the church who said, yeah, it's Jesus, we get that, but it's also the Old Testament laws and regulations. It's, it's Jesus plus all that other stuff. There were people who held to what's called asceticism. They wanted to live these severe lives kind of beat themselves over the back types of lives, kind of a monkish type life, in order to demonstrate approval or gain approval from God. There were those who were called the Gnostics. Gnosticism had infiltrated the church. And Gnosticism was this insidious disease that can come into churches, particularly Bible churches, where a group of people think, we've really got the, all the answers. We got it nailed down. We got this deeper spiritual meaning. We're the real mature group. And the Gnosticisms had almost a secret handshake that was going on in the church. 
There were also those who believed in angel worship. And there were some, worst of all, who were denying the deity of Christ. And so when Paul heard all that, he wrote this letter to the church in Colossians, delivered back by Epaphras, to refute the heresy. In order to refute the heresy, he focused on Jesus. He said, Jesus is all you need. Jesus, He is supreme over all. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Jesus is the creator, the pre-existent sustainer of all things. In, in Jesus, the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Jesus is completely adequate. In fact, you have been given fullness in Christ. He is, he is all you need. Paul not only tells them some things they need to know, because there are always things we need to know and things we need to be taught, but Paul doesn't stop there. Paul says, you've got to take those things you know, and you have to apply them. You have to get going in your Christian life. And so in Colossians 2, 6 and 7, a verse that we want to come back to uh, a lot this year as we think about our grounding, Colossians 2, 6 and 7, Paul gives us instruction. Let's go through uh, what he says in these verses. Let's just work our way through this passage. Paul starts out saying, so then. So Paul says, here's the deal. Here's what you, you, here's some things you know. So then what do you do with it? What do you do with the knowledge you have? First, he says, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord. I love that word receive there. Paul's basically saying you've heard the gospel and you've accepted the gospel. You understand that you're a sinner. You understand you can't save yourself. You understand that Jesus came and died for you on the cross. He did for you, he did for you what you can't do for yourself. And you've trusted in Him alone. You've received Him. Just like you would go to your home when the doorbell rings, right? You go to your home, open the door, and receive your guest in. So, you have, you have, Jesus has rung the bell of your heart. And you have gone and you have opened up your heart and you have received Him into your life. But not just as a friend or a dinner guest. You received Him how? You received Jesus as Lord. He is your master. He's the one calling the shots. He's the one who gives the instruction. He's the one we are to follow hard after. You've received Jesus as Lord. Now you've done that. You've already done that. Now here's what you need to do based on where you are in Christ. First, continue to live in Him. That word means keep it going. It means, to, it means continuity of action. Continue to behave like Jesus would want you to behave. Continue to follow hard after Him. Continue to do the things He's calling you to do. Continue to demonstrate that He is your Lord, that He's your Master. That's the, fir that's the first thing. If you're taking your notes, that's number two on your notes. The next one is, be rooted in Him. Have your roots strong. Be strengthened in Him. Keep them deep. And the, and the, and the way the Greek word's written here... Be strengthened, and the focus is on the source of the strength. Rooted in Him. He's the one. Jesus is where you get your strength. Jesus is where you get your encouragement. Jesus is where you can truly be rooted and be deep in the ground. Also, for, if you're taking notes, built up in Him. That word built up means to be, means to, be um, to increase your, the potential of your strength. It's like lifting weights, right? So you lift weights and you increase the potential of your strength. But the word, again, in the Greek, also says 
There's a process to that. There's a focus on the process. We're going to talk about the process for us later. But we all know if we're going to be strengthened, I just can't go out and say, I got some weights out on my out on our porch. We're going to wrap around porch. I got some weights sitting there. I can't say, I'm going to get stronger just by looking at the weights, right? I got to have a process. Three times a week, if I'm going to strengthen myself, I got to use those weights. So I got to figure out how that's going to work into my time schedule, what I'm going to lift, the procedure I'm going to follow. If you're going to be strengthened in something, there's a process to follow. Paul says, be built up, be strengthened. Check this out. In the faith in which you were taught. There were people, Paul said, in your life who taught you the foundational points, the foundational uh, essential elements of the Christian faith. You were taught those. Someone invested in your life. Now, be strengthened in those. Always be working to firm those up. Always be working to be solid in what you know you believe. Be strengthened in what you were taught. And then Paul says, always as you live your life, let it overflow with thanksgiving. Have a life of gratitude. Always be thanking God for what He's done in your life. Because when you thank God for what He's done in your life, you are reminding yourself of His character, of His attributes. He did that for me yesterday. I thank Him for that. Because He did that for me yesterday, He's going to do that for me tomorrow. It's a continual reminder of who God is. Okay, so that's what Paul tells those in the Colossian church. That's what you need to do. You've received Christ as your Lord. He's your master. He's the one in charge. You're not in charge. He is. Continue to live in Him. Keep it going. Keep working. Rooted and build up in Him. Strengthened in the faith as you were taught. Overflowing with thanksgiving. Now the question that we want to ask ourselves is, why do we need to do that? Why do we need to continue to be built up, to be rooted, to be strengthened in Him, in Christ? Let me give you, we could, we could do a whole list of, of the reasons. Let me give you two. two. First one is, strength or impact demands strong, deep roots. Wherever you are in your life, if you're going to make an impact for Jesus Christ, if you're serious about this, if this is not a hobby for you, if coming to church and following Christ is not just like a checkoff box for you in your, in your religious category of your life, if you're serious about this, if you have a personal relationship with Christ and you truly want to make Him the master of your life, you want to make an impact for Him. You want to be that person at your office, not known as the Bible thumper, because people run from Bible thumpers, but you want to be such a light that when there's a challenge in someone's life, they know who you are, and they come to you, and they ask for your prayer, and they ask for your advice. You're the light in your office. You want to be a light in your classroom. You want to be that individual that other students know that you are one who follows Jesus Christ. There's something different about your life, and it's not something you've conjured up. It's coming from the inside out. Young adults, you want to be those in your demographic, in your community, desperately, people desperately looking for someone to, let, to, to show them what it looks like to really follow hard after Christ. Not just talk the talk, but to really walk it. You can be the one to make an impact for Christ. If we're going to be those people in our marriage, in our parenting, every aspect of our life, if we're going to be those people, we have to be rooted. We have to be grounded. We have to know what we believe. So when people come to us, and they ask us to give the reason for that faith that is within us, we can give an answer. We're living the answer, and we can give the answer. We've got to be rooted. 
Now, Jesus is the master teacher, right? When he talks about being rooted, he doesn't go to the analogy of tree. He goes to the analogy of a house. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, you remember the story. The, the, the way he wraps up, the way Jesus wraps up the Sermon on the Mount is to tell the story about two builders. Remember? There was a foolish builder and a wise builder. The foolish builder built the house that looked great on the outside, like that, kick, that smooth bar kickery tree, right? It looks healthy, looks great, but then the storms came. The winds blew. And you know what happened? House fell down with a crash because it didn't have a foundation. Foolish builder. But what did the wise builder do? Luke says the, the, the wise builder dug down until he hit rock. And that's where he placed his foundation. And he built the house. It took some more time. It took some energy. He dug down, put in the effort. He did his part. And then the storms came. And then the stuff hit. But his house stood strong. That's what we want to be. We want to be those who shine like a light so people can, can see what it looks like to follow Christ. And then when the inevitable storms hit, we want to be able to stand. And man, when those storms hit, and they do, people watch, don't they? When the storms hit, people are saying, you know what? I've heard them talk. I've heard about them going to church. They are inviting me there. Now I want to see if it really makes a difference. Now I want to see if just, it was just a bunch of talk or following Jesus Christ really makes a difference in the storm. Guys, we've got to have our roots deep so that we do make a difference when the storm hits. There's a second reason that we have to make sure our roots are deep. Number two, you must know what you believe in order to know what? What not to believe. We're in a world today that we get bombarded by all kinds of stuff. And you've got to know what you believe in order to know what not to believe. You guys know how they train uh, individuals to, 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 uh, to spot counterfeit bills. They, they train them with the original, with the authentic. And that person studies the authentic, every part of it, every corner of it, every little piece of ink. They study that thing. The authentic is just ingrained in their mind so that when they see a counterfeit, boom, they can spot it. They see right off the bat, something's not right with this paper here. Something's not right with this coin. I know what the original looks like. Something's not right. And we live in a world today that's given us all kinds of information. We got to know what's right so we don't accept what's not right. The Colossian church had a lot of issues, and let's face it, the church, again, not the building, but all of us as we come together and as we live separately as a church, we got issues as well. And we live in a world that if we're not careful, things can seep in. The philosophies of the world can seep into a world. We could break this down many ways, but there are two major uh, philosophy, worldviews that, that, that are predominant, pervasive throughout our culture. The first one is religious pluralism. Pluralism. Pluralism says that, 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 that two or more aspects of religion, it's just fine. They, they, they fit together. There's really no difference. You can believe what you want to believe, and I can believe what I want to believe, and it's all the same at the end. Now, um, 
we're, when, when we talk about Christianity being exclusive, it's not inclusive, it's exclusive. Because Jesus says what? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. That's not pluralism. That's exclusivism. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. Now, how does that seep into the church? Because I know some of you right now are saying, yeah, but, yeah, 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 but wait. What about the really sincere, really nice Buddhist or Hindu or Muslim? Surely, if they're sincere, that's pluralism. Seeps into the church. Doesn't matter if there's you can you can be sincere about a lot of things. And you can be sincerely wrong. And if you're not trusting in Jesus Christ alone as the only way to have a relationship with God, you don't have a relationship with God. Universalism says at the end of the day, because of God's love, He's just going to bring everyone in. Universalism is a heresy. And we've got to make sure we are sharing that with those we love. What kills me sometimes is when a person will be praying about their father or their mother or an aunt or an uncle, and, and, and they're praying that they don't know Christ, and then that person passes away. And then, you know, we go into our mind, yeah, but they were a really good person. They were really good. And that, that, that pluralism seeps into our minds. And we've got to be those who say, this is what the truth is. Here's what we believe. We live in a world of pluralism. We also live in a world of relativism. Relativism says there is no absolute standard. The very definition of relativism contradicts relativism, right? Moral relativism. There's no standard for morality. Ethical Moralism. There's no standard for ethics. And then cultural relativism, we see that a lot. Cultural, cultural relativism says that, that, the, that the beliefs and the customs and the ethics are all relative to a person's social context. So what's right and wrong in one social context may not be right and wrong in another social context, may not be right and wrong in another con social context. So we see that going crazy in our country right now. We're redefining marriage. Because, you know, marriage, that was okay back in that social context, but we're, we are enlightened. We are redefining, we're redefining sexual identity. You can be who you want to be, whatever you feel. It's relative, right? Whatever you feel like being, you can be, and that's okay. Now, those are, that's easy pickings there, right? Those are easy. And that's what we, all, we always want to jump to the easy, and we always want to be jump, jump to something that's outside of ourselves. But let's come inside a little bit here. Are there any, anything in your life that, that you are demonstrating relativism toward? So you read God's Word. You know what He says. And you say, you know what? I think I'm going to kind of define that the way I want to define that. I know what he says about sexual purity, young adults. But hey, man, in our culture, everybody's hooking up. Everybody's living together. You know, you know when you want to get married here, or if you want to get married here, 
you may not want to get married here after I say this, but if you want to get married here, we take you through the ropes. We're, gonna, we're, gonna, we're, gonna, we're going to do the best we can to prepare you. And one of the questions we now have on our online application is, are you living together? Because we got so tired of dealing with that after a couple would come in. So that's just, let's just talk about that early on. And if you are, we've got, we got a process for that. Relativism. So sexual purity. What about materialism? Come on. Are we really living the lives that Jesus calls us to live from a material standpoint? So we got purity. We got money. Relationships. You see, we, 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 we lose the church, loses its platform to speak about marriage when we don't keep our marriages together. We lose that platform. So we say traditional marriage is it, and then the world says, yeah, but you don't seem to be keeping the marriages together in the church. So we can, we can go to the easy pickings. That's, that's easy, right? And we run there, and we go there, and man, we're all over that stuff. We got Twitter that. We, sorry, we tweet that, and and we put it on Facebook, and we always have this stuff that we, you know, we're really, we're really upset about this. But not here. We've got to make sure that our roots are deep. Here's what's at stake. 80% of young adults are disconnected today from the church in their 20s. If you're in your, here in your 20s, about 20, 80% of your groups not in church at all. And here's the other part of it. Here's the most concerning part of it. 75 of those at that 80%, 75% of them were connected as teenagers. They were our kids. They went through our youth group. They were connected as teenagers. One study, one survey went through the foundational truths of the Christian faith. Because we live in a pluralistic relative world, only 6% one, two, three, four, five, six percent hold to the foundational of young adults, hold to the foundational truths of the Christian faith. Think we had an issue? Now let's just play that out. If we've got an issue today in the church, fast forward 10 years. If that statistic continues, the church becomes obsolete. Now I know the gates of hell will never come against it, I also know when you go to places like Great Britain that started the revival that swept across the world, only 1% of people go to church. And all the buildings over there, church buildings, are now car garages or restaurants or condos or whatever. They lost the right to have an influence. Got to be grounded. We got to be ready. Got to be able to, to let people know why we believe what we believe. All right, so here is our plan. Here's our plan. There are a lot of ways you can grow, and you've got to grow on your own. Daily time in the Word, daily time in prayer, regular time in prayer. In our services, uh, next week we're going to start the study of Exodus. Uh, we, started, we did Genesis, we went through Genesis last year. And Exodus is really a continuation of Genesis. 
And we wanted to go through Genesis for, or Exodus for two reasons, see how big God is. And then the law is given in uh, Exodus, so we'll go through the Ten Commandments. But we wanted to do that to finish out Genesis, but we also wanted to set up our study for Hebrews uh, in, in January. Because it's Hebrews who says, here's all, the, here's all this Old Testament, right? But Jesus is the fulfillment of all that. He's the, he's the one who brings that to fruition. He's the one that the Old Testament people waited for and longed for. He's the one supreme. So in our services, Exodus and then uh, Hebrews in the, in the uh, winter, spring. But for now, we're going to encourage you to get rooted. We're going to encourage you to go deep. We're going to encourage you to be those who don't just come to a Sunday morning service and somehow feel that you've checked off the thing you need to do. There's another step. This is a monologue going on here. Great growth takes place in the dialogue and the interaction of what we call at the Bible Chapel, chapel groups. We used to call them flock groups many years ago. Then we called them um, small groups. Then we called them life groups. And just because we wanted to do something different, not just kidding, uh, we were calling them chapel groups. And we did this just to help explain what these groups are, because we had some different groups and they were getting confused. So chapel groups. Let me go through the three chapel groups we have, and then I'm going to challenge you to get involved in one of these groups. The first group we have is connect group. Then we have core. And then we have care. A care group is a group designed to help you through a specific tough stretch of life. Divorce care, uh, grief share, celebrate recovery. You're going through a tough time. And you still may be in a core group or you may be in a connect group, but you need, you need a place where, where people going through the same stuff are right there with you. And you need, to, you need to look at the scriptures that's going to help you get through that time. Not just get through that time, but, 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 but grow through that time. So that's the care group. Then we have connect groups. Connect groups, all of our campuses have connect groups. And connect groups are for those either just getting started on the Christian journey or just getting started at our church. Our curriculum for the connect groups is a 12-session study called Living Grounded. Many of you have done that. And in Living Grounded, we put forth the foundational truths of the Christian faith. Now, once you get through Living Grounded, you're not discipled. No one is ever discipled. Past tense. You are in the process of being discipled. You've just gone through some material to, 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 to at least begin to dig down on that foundational pillars that you need to put in your life. That's what Living Grounded does. If you've not done that, you need to do that. Your roots are at stake. Your children's roots are at stake. Your grandchildren's roots are at stake. You have to be a parent, grandparent, to be able to know what you believe. You have to be a young adult to know what you believe. In our young adult ministry, uh, meets on Tuesday night. We also have small groups for that. So if you're a young adult, 
You need to get involved in one of these groups. So it starts with the connect group. Then we have core groups. Core groups are groups probably 10 to 12 people. Some of them meet at the church. A lot of them meet in homes. They're a time to pray together, get to know one another, do life together, and study God's Word together. And this year, we're going to have a common curriculum for all the core groups, and we're going to have a study on spiritual identity, who we are in Christ. That we are, we use the word, we've written this material, and I want to, by the way, I want to thank all the the uh, chapel group leaders, the core group leaders, the connect group leaders. We've been meeting this summer. We've met probably, I don't, I think it's three times, maybe four. We've gone over this material. We've put it out. Uh, we've gotten feedback from it. And uh, we just appreciate all the, all the time you've already put into this. But in the core groups, we're going to go through, there's a six sessions on what it means first to be in Christ, then our significance is found in Him. Our security is found in Him. Our acceptance is found in Him. Forgiveness in Him. And our empowerment is found in Him. Now, I know some of you have been through these things before. By the way, if you've been through all these things before, and you say in your mind, I don't need to go through that again, then we need you to step up and take someone else through it. It's your time now, not just to sit in a group. It's your time to be the facilitator of the group. Maybe to go through it one-on-one with someone, couple-on-couple. You need to be the leader. If you're sitting there saying, I got this stuff down, fantastic, we've been waiting on you. Come up. We've got a process we go through. You have to be a member, and there's some training, but take time. You're now, the, you, tag, you are it. Thanks for telling us. You're now going to be a leader. We're going to get you involved. Greg DeVore, one of our elders, has been working around the clock on this stuff. He needs more people to lead groups, connect, and core. So if you're ready, beautiful. And we all believe that as we study God's Word, we never, we've never arrived yet, have we? We need to know who we are in Christ. We believe that after you nail down those those essentials and begin to drive those pillars down, we believe the most important thing is to understand not just who you are, but whose you are. That your significance is not found in your job or where you live or what you drive or titles by your name. Your significance is incredible. If, if all those things went away, who are you? Your security is not found in a bank account or your job situation or, 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 or your retirement fund. If all those things went away, are you still secure? Your acceptance is not found on how many people you can please and how many friends you have on Facebook and your Twitter account. If all those things went away, you're still accepted by Christ. Forgiveness in Him. Empowerment that comes from His Spirit. We can do everything He's called us to do. We have the power to do everything He's called us to do. So that's what we want to focus on. In the lobby after our service, the uh, leaders of connect groups and core groups are going to be in the lobby 
they have signs. They're going to tell you where their group meets, and you can talk to them as to when it meets. Sign up for a group. Get involved. And again, I'm asking you, if you are at that point where you can't learn any more of this stuff, beautiful. Teach it to somebody else. Remember what Paul says? Just as you were taught, someone invested in the lives of the Colossians. All right, let me wrap this up. How many of you enjoyed the Olympics? Okay, very enthusiastic crowd <laughs> about those Olympics. They were great, weren't they? I mean, you know, you'd, you'd never watch some of that stuff normally, but it's the Olympics, so you watch this. Let me tell you a story about a couple of the divers. After he participated in the 2008 Olympics in Beijing, David Bodiah, who was a diver, hit bottom. He didn't win anything. He went back to Purdue, where he was studying. He went into depression, and he said he even contemplated suicide. So in his desperate state, he reached out to his college coach, a guy named Adam Sadolti. And along with Sadolti and Sadolti's wife, Kamiko, they talked to David Bodiah, and through them, Bodiah trusted in Jesus Christ as his personal Savior. He explained it this way. Through Adam's faithful friendship in ministering the Word to me, I came to know Christ. I began to be discipled in my walk with Christ. I also sought counsel. Uh, I also sought out biblical counsel. Slowly and not always consistently, I began to realize from the Word of God that my purpose in life as God's child was to live for Him and not other, live for Him and others, not myself. Living for David's fame and David's pleasure. Anyone relate to that? Living for David's fame and David's pleasure was one of my biggest problems in the 2008 Beijing Olympics and was the cause of my deepest moments of despair. Fast forward to 2012. In the 2012 Olympics in London, he won a gold and a bronze. Here's what he said after that. God was completely sovereign throughout the entire journey. He knew how it was going to happen, when it was going to happen, and we know why it happens, to make me more like Christ. In the Rio Olympics this past summer, he and his partner, uh, Steele Johnson, won the 10-meter synchronized dive. They got a silver medal in that dive. And afterwards, they were being interviewed. You guys remember how I think it's right after the event, there's a reporter there from NBC interviewing them. Kelly Stavis asked him, what does it mean to come out and medal here in the synchro event? Here's what Badiah said. Yeah, I just think this past week there's been an enormous amount of pressure, and I felt it. You know, it's just an identity crisis. When my mind is on this, thinking I'm defined by this, my mind goes crazy. But we both know, talking about his partner, Steele Johnson, we both know what? Our identity is in Christ. And then Johnson said, the way David described it is, was flawless. In fact, that, uh, the fact that I was going into this event knowing that my identity is rooted in Christ and not the results of this competition gave me peace and let me enjoy the contest. If something went great, I was happy. If something didn't go great, I could still find joy. And that's just the diving contest. 
Let's apply that to our lives. Some days are going to go great, right? You're going to win the medal. Other days, your dive is going to stink. Whether you win or lose, whether the promotion comes or doesn't, whether the job continues to go or goes away, whether the relationship comes or not, when you know whose you are, it changes everything. When you know that your identity is in Christ, in Him you are significant. Because He died for you on the cross. In Him you are secure. Nothing can separate you from His love. In Him you are accepted. Your people-pleasing days are over. In Him you are forgiven. The guilt of your sin is gone. In Him you are empowered. You can now live the way He wants you to live. See, that's a game changer. And whatever comes, whatever comes, when our roots are, are, are dug deep in our identity in Christ, then whatever comes, we can have peace, we can have joy, we can have that true happiness. That is what we are aiming at. That is what we are striving toward. That is what we are going to be focusing on in these groups this fall. And we want you to be a part of that. So be sure to sign up before you go. Father, be with us as we take this on. I, I pray that you would interrupt the life of a person sitting there right now who just already checked out. And I pray that you would convict them of their need to get deeper. However that is, whatever process that is, to get deeper, to get those roots dug deep. I pray, Lord, that we would find our identity not in what we do. Man, it is so easy to do that. But in who you are. And whose we are in you. So do your work, Lord, in our hearts, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.